This episode of Full Stack Radio is brought to you by Laracasts. Laracasts is the de facto community and educational resource for PHP developers of all skill levels. Whether you're new to Laravel or hoping to level up your dev team, Laracasts was constructed entirely and exclusively for you. It's a lot like Netflix for your career. I think there's over 500 videos on there right now covering all sorts of topics from Laravel itself to different backend tools, front end frameworks like Vue.js and React, design patterns, how to get better at Git. There's something on there for everybody. So check it out if you have a chance at laracasts.com and thanks again to laracast for sponsoring full stack radio enjoy the show hey everyone welcome to episode 35 of the full stack radio podcast where i talk to people in the software industry about everything from user experience and product design to unit testing and system administration i'm your host adam wathen and today i'm here with my friend jonathan renning how's it going jonathan it's going good man how are you good uh so for anyone who doesn't know you, do you mind kind of giving a little bit of introduction and background into what you do and like how you're involved in the software community? Yeah, sure. Be happy to. So I've been doing software development primarily with PHP for about 15, 16 years now. For a good portion of that, I was working for a creative firm, doing a lot of marketing sort of things. But in 2015, so early 2015, I started my own business and started doing the contract development thing. And that's been going pretty awesome. I've been doing most of my work on one single large project, uh, which is mostly a PHP API project. And then, uh, yeah, outside of my regular work, I have a small SaaS product that I manage. And outside of that, I try to stay involved in open source as much as I can. Most of my work is done with uh, a group called the PHP League or the League of Extraordinary Packages. I uh, manage a couple packages myself, one a templating library called Plates, and a, another package, an image uh, manipulation library called Glide. Awesome. So the reason I wanted to have you on is because uh, me and you kind of always end up bouncing ideas off of each other when it comes to this API design stuff in Slack all the time. So I thought it would be cool to kind of talk about some of the uh, the different discussions that we've had there and some of the little problems that we've run into before that probably a lot of other people have run into and some of the solutions and stuff that we've come up with and opinions that we've shared and I uh, thought it could make for an interesting discussion. So you said you've been working on a big API project lately, of course. Um, we got a bunch of questions here that we kind of wrote down to go over. So the first one that uh, we kind of thought about that is something I've run into a lot of times is how do you decide when an endpoint should be like scoped based on the authenticated user, like have knowledge of the authenticated user. So say you're in a situation where you have like, you know, your typical posts and comments example that everyone uses for everything, right? If you just go to slash posts, should that just return the user's posts or should you have to go to users slash their ID slash posts? Or is there some situations where you want some endpoints to have knowledge of the authenticated user and some where you don't want to have knowledge of the authenticated user? This has been like something that that kind of plagues me on like every project making these decisions. I was wondering if you have any like heuristics that you use or any just like general opinions that you have on this or how it's played out in the in the big project that you've been working on. I would say that scoping to the authenticated user is probably not my preferred way to way to do it. Um, I would probably be more inclined to do your second option there, where you would access uh, the resource as a sub resource. So using your example of users and posts. Yeah. So you could have a user and they would be available, their posts would be available at users slash that user ID slash posts and you'd be able to get all the posts for that user. And then what you would do is you would use slash posts as a more generic place for all posts 
and maybe the uh, you know the just the slash post the the get on that would include some search functionality. Yeah, like some query string filters or whatever that you could apply. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, I also really like doing a trick that I've seen done more and more on a lot of public APIs and that we've done on this project that we're, we're developing right now is that we use a me or a self keyword to make it easier to find data that's specific to yourself. So um, a, a good example would be is just instead of going to user slash my user ID to get my own information or to update it, I could actually do slash users slash me instead uh, or users slash self. So I first, I first saw this, I think, on Facebook's API, but I was actually just, uh, just looking right now on the uh, Instagram API and actually the Vimeo API, and both of them do this. They have a slash me resource that allows you to quickly get to your own stuff without having to pass in the ID. So, and we actually went even one step further on our own API. Instead of just doing slash user slash me, we just said, well, don't even put users in there, just put slash me. And that works really, really nicely. So then what we do is, say you have a user's controller, and when you go to user slash one, you can access that user's controller, do your typical things like show and put and create and whatever else. But what we did in our app is we actually set up, we, use, uh, we built it on Laravel. So what we did is we used route model binding to basically inject the, uh, the model that we're working on into our controller uh, methods. To use route model binding, I'm a big fan. I've used it a, a bit in the past, but for some reason, it's not like my default mode of operation. I always end up like doing the lookups myself, and I haven't really figured out why yet. <laughs> yeah, I was a little bit slow to use it at first, but I would recommend trying it because it just what it does is it literally just removes one line of code from every single one of your methods. So what we did is you so we're using Laravel 5.1, um, which doesn't have the automatic route model binding that I believe 5.2 has. So you actually have to create your own, you have to define them in a service provider. But that's fine. It's, it's not a lot of work to even do that. But I did, what I did is for when you pass in a user, that keyword, generally it would just be an ID. But what I did is I had it so that you could actually pass in me. And if it's me, it doesn't do the lookup. It actually just uses the current user and passes that back instead. So what's really nice is I now have different resources or different routes. So I have user slash me and I have user slash one or just, just slash me, and they all point to the same controller, which is really nice because it's just, we don't, I don't have to have these different controllers, you know, one for just generic users and one for the current user. Yeah, I've done a similar thing with the me thing. And I think the point that you brought up about whether you do like users slash me slash sub resource or just like slash me slash sub resource is a kind of interesting. I've been doing just slash me slash posts or, you know, whatever. And um, that's been working out pretty well for me too. I think before I stumbled across like Facebook doing that, it was always kind of a pain to, if you wanted to do like the setup where you never automatically scope a resource based on the authenticated user, you have to somehow give the user their ID so they know how to request like their own posts or something, right? Which is kind of ends up being awkward. Like, how do you do that? Do you do it like when they first request their access token, do you give them back the access token and their ID and then just like basically say, hey, you better not lose that or you're not going to be able to request your own um, stuff without like first 
maybe accessing like some other endpoint that returns information about the current user. Yeah, which is kind of silly. Here's your access token and here's your ID. And you're gonna have to remember both of them. It's like, no, it kind of makes more sense to put that work on the API. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and it's worked out pretty well for me. Like the, like you said, I think the way that I've done it is you just make like the uh, the row parameter like an optional parameter sort of thing. And if it's, if it's there, then you look it up based on that user ID and do any authorization checks to make sure that the the person who's authenticated actually has permission to look at that person's stuff. And if it's not there, then you scope it to uh, the authenticated user or you explicitly check if that was set to me or whatever too, you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess you're always like, and this is the thing, any, any resource in your entire API, you're going to have to do some sort of authentication checks to make sure that they're authorized to, or uh, authorization checks to make sure that they're able to look at that information. So it's not like, not avoiding that really in any way. But that's, I don't know, I feel like this design leaves you just a little more future-proof. It's just, it's easier to say in the future when you have a new user with a new role or permission that allows them to look at other users or create other users, it just, it frees up those routes to allow for that sort of thing. Whereas if you said, okay, slash post, that's only ever for the current user. You can't create another post for another user or whatever. Whatever, I guess you could still create post use you know slash user slash id slash posts or whatever i I just i don't know i just feel like this system just leaves you a little bit more future proof than than scoping it yeah i was gonna say the same thing because if for some reason something changes where now people need to see more than just their own posts at any point for whatever reason you have nowhere to put that resource now I was talking to uh, Phil Sturgeon about this topic actually on the weekend at Sunshine PHP, and he was saying that for um, the API that he works on, they actually have some endpoints that are scoped to just the current user, but if you have different permissions, it returns um, different stuff. So it's almost like it's almost like you have your slash posts endpoint, and it's not that it's scoped to the current user. It's designed to just return all posts, but it's in their setup, it's returning all posts that you're allowed to see. So, which ends up being for like 99% of users, like anyone who's not an admin, it just returns their posts because those are the only posts that they're allowed to see. So it ends up working like a scoped endpoint. But if you're logged in as an administrator or something, you can get access to all the resources. So I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, approach to it as well. So instead of thinking about it as scoped, it's more about like permissions at like the individual resource level. I like that. My only concern there would be is you'd have to be aware of that as you were writing your API to it. Because if, you know, using the Instagram example, if you wanted to, if you had say slash media or slash pictures, um, it would pull in all the pictures from that from that resource. But if for some reason you in the future had the ability to view other, you know, if you had permission to view other stuff, suddenly you'd be getting more data back. So you'd have to say, no, in this situation in my app, I only want my own. Um, and you'd have, to, you'd have to set that because that could change. Somebody could add in permission or, or whatever, and that data could change unexpectedly. And suddenly you're showing the wrong stuff. Yeah, it's like you're getting back just your posts, but it's only really coincidence it's not like it's meant to just give you back your post so you have to kind of have a kind of a bit of a mind shift to make sure that you're approaching building the stuff that consumes it in the same way you know that it's serving it to you and thinking about the fact like okay am i building something that's supposed to work with posts that i have access to or posts that are mine because just because those are the same data set right now doesn't mean they're always going to be the same data set absolutely and we've done that on our current project and it actually works out really nice like where you do this this scoping based on the user's current permissions and it, it does it works out great cool another topic that i think 
people run into a lot, especially when they're first getting started um, with trying to do this sort of like restful routing and stuff, is dealing with nested resources and what the best way to do that is. So again, going like the posts, comments example, say you had like post five and you wanted to get like a comment on that and that comment has like ID 13. Um, I feel like a lot of people, when they first get started, they want to do like slash posts, slash five, slash comments, slash 13, because it's supposed to be like a comment that's nested under the posts. Do you have any opinions on the on the nested resource stuff in general? Absolutely. Uh, like I think originally when I first started working on API stuff is I really wanted to do the nesting because that was just the way my brain worked. So I love the idea of, you know, user slash five slash post slash you know the post id slash comments slash the comment id and it just made so much sense to me just even just like visually oh that falls out under that and that falls under that but i quickly kind of started to hate that approach to the point now that if i have if i even have two ids in a route uh i feel like i can do better now it's not always completely possible to avoid it but using your example of say users and posts so if you have a resource, you know, users slash five and post 13, what like what happens if you go to maybe you, you go to, you know, post user number five, but you enter in the, the post ID for a, a completely different. Yeah. E- e- exactly. So, so now what you have to do is you actually have to check. And it's kind of a ridiculous check because like, you know, that user, you know, post number 13 belongs to user number five. But now you have to do that check just to make sure that somebody didn't type in something stupid. But the reality is if you don't do that check, it almost doesn't matter because what does it matter if you're only going to be updating, you know, say post 13 and assuming that you have your authorization and stuff set up properly, you're going to be doing your your authorization against the The authenticated user. Yeah, that's right. So it's like really makes no difference, but you're doing the check just to make sure that that is a valid URL. That's really the only value that it, yeah. it's adding which it seems silly to me yeah and then if you take that you know I, like i said i'm a fan of route model binding and laravel so there's no way to automatically do that so now i have to do it so literally what i've done when i've done this is i have my route my my controller route and maybe it's whatever maybe it's just a the show and it passes in the user model and it passes in the post model and then all i'm doing is checking does this post user equal the user that i just got and that's it and anyway so it, I, i'm that's kind of one reason why I hate it. I think if you can, with the, just thinking through your API design, you can avoid this. For example, I, what I like to do is, and maybe maybe this isn't the right way to do it, but I, I like this design. So you, depending on what action you're doing, the, the URL will actually change. So if, if it's a get or a post, so if you're getting all the posts for a user or you're creating a new post for a user, I would do slash user slash the ID slash posts. So that allowed me to get all the posts for a user and it'll always also allow me to create, create a, a new post. post for that user. That's yeah. correct. And then I'll actually change the URL for the other rest verbs. So I'll just use slash post when I want to get a specific post uh, or I'll use slash posts. I tend to use the uh, yeah, plural. like post slash ID for the specific one. Correct. So I'll for for get of a specific one, I'll do get put or patch and delete all just on that more generic post resource. Now, all those re- like it's not like I'm setting up separate controllers for that. I can still have a traditional controller that has all your normal like index, create, store, show, edit, update and destroy like all those but I'll, I'll just kind of change the URLs a little bit um, 
depending on whether which one it is. Yeah, totally. I I do the same thing. Like I think my rule is like if I know the unique ID for the resource, then I'm just going to get it at the top level. I don't want multiple IDs in the in the URL. So same thing for you. If you want to add a post to a user, well, then you know the user ID, but there is no ID for the post yet. So you need to dump that post into like the user's posts bucket, right? So then you need yep. to have the user ID in the URL. And same with retrieving all posts for a user. But if you just need to edit a post, well, you already know the ID of the post. So as long as the IDs are unique, you have no reason to have to care about adding the user information in there as well. You mentioned that you like you put this stuff in the same controller. Something that I ran into before that took me a while to come up with a solution to that I might have talked about on the podcast before actually is like when you have posts, right? You want to get all posts. That's like the index action on your post controller. But if you want to get all posts for a user, like what action were you using on the controller for that? Right. That's uh so what I would probably do is create like a separate controller called user posts. Yeah, that's exactly what I've been doing. But it, it, yeah, I find with all this stuff, there's like, there's no one way of doing it. So it's kind of a little bit tricky. I've just really tried to, I've really tried to limit my controllers to those standard um, rest actions. Rest, yeah, exactly. Which I, I didn't always do it that way. Um, for a long time, I actually thought it was kind of dumb. But when I got on this current project, which is huge, there's tons of resources, there's tons of controllers. I started seeing the value in it because we ended up with controllers when we didn't do this that had like 20 methods in it for all sort of like different variations and permutations of really the base rest actions, but just doing slightly different things. So yeah, I feel like anytime you can just kind of split, follow that, that, that standard pattern, but then create different controllers that are more specific to the thing that you're trying to do. I feel like that's a lot better. Yeah, I agree 100%. So my kind of rule of thumb is I prefer to create a new controller before creating a method that's a, a non-standard method. So instead of having like a, a user posts method on like the post controller, I would rather have a user post controller and just use the standard index method. Totally. Like if you if you have to camel case a rest method, meaning that you need more than one word, then consider making a controller. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it for sure. One thing that... I have run into with the nested resources stuff where I have wanted to do it is situations where you either don't have a unique ID for the sub resource or it, it seems like it's making your API like kind of either unintuitive or ugly for the sake of trying to avoid the nested resources. So an example that I could think of was say we're, we're building an API for um, a podcast hosting service, right? Seems appropriate given the podcast. <laughs> and say you have like, say you want to get like episode five for a certain podcast. So episode five for that podcast is going to have a unique ID in that system, right? It might be like episode 6,521 across the whole system. But does it make more sense to force someone to go like slash episodes slash the episode ID or to be able to go slash podcast slash the podcast ID slash episodes than like the episode number, which is really just like the, the sequence that the episodes are in. It's not really like an ID. It's just like the number of that episode for that podcast, which, you know, every podcast is going to share the same sequence from one to, you know, infinity. I've run into situations like that before where. I've been tempted to use nested resources. Do you have any opinions on that? Have you run into situations like that before where it makes, where it seems to make a lot of sense not to use a unique ID for one reason or another? Yeah, I have. And those can be tricky situations. I, and again, I don't know that there's a right or wrong there. 
I feel like in this example, um, yeah, with the podcast numbers, yeah, you could use the IDs, but I feel like your users may expect it, like they're thinking about it in terms of the podcast number, not necessarily the ID. To, so to have your API tailored to the number in that situation, I feel like that's a nice thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've, I, it's a good question because I guess what's the alternative? The alternative is that you don't nest that and it's just available at say po- slash podcasts, then the user needs to know the ID. Otherwise, they're not going to be able to, to yeah, there'd be a conflict, obviously, because depending on the system, there could be hundreds of or thousands of podcast number one. So that's not going to work. So yeah, I, I guess in that situation, I, I would weigh the benefits and the costs to both approach approaches. And I probably side with whatever I believe is going to be the easiest for the person consuming the API. Yeah. I totally agree. I think um, that's the most pragmatic way to think about it, right? So I think that's the only case where like the nested resources thing is something I would consider, but I feel like it comes up often enough that, you know, it's a, a common thing to end up having to do. But if you're going to stick like a unique ID for that sub resource at the end, definitely just collapse it down. That's it, because you're not really talking about an ID there. So it's actually... To me, it it is still kind of a unique ID that sort of sub resource because in that situation you actually need the the ID of the podcast plus the ID of the episode in yeah. order to determine which particular episode you're actually looking to edit. It's like right? a composite primary key like equivalent. Exactly. Right? Yeah. 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 For sure. Cool. So another thing that I think um, is a really common issue that people run into when they're building stuff like this is trying to deal with actions that don't feel like they fit into your standard like uh rest verbs which i've run into you know tons and tons of times and it's really easy to just throw the convention away and not work really hard to figure out a way to do it um the example i can think of in this scenario you know with the posts and comments thing imagine you needed to like mark a post as read and that was like something that you needed to do through the API. You might be inclined to have like a posts slash ID slash read endpoint or something that you just post empty contents to or, you know, send a delete request to or something. Have you ever run into situations like that before? Absolutely. I find the two big ones for me that I can think of right off the bat are just authentication related stuff, password resets and the like. And then the other one would be sending emails. If you want to do like, you want to force an email send. And yeah, I I used to basically not care at all. I, I, when I ran into these situations, I would most likely create a verby sort of endpoint that was most likely a post because that felt like the right verb for it, but, but I'm not even sure that it was. Um, and then I would just carry on my way, like, so resend welcome email. And when you hit that endpoint for a user, so it'd be user slash one slash resend welcome email. And that would just go off and do its thing. And I, I've sort of come back from that because I, as I've already mentioned, I see a lot of value in following those standard REST verbs and those standard, you know, having controllers that have those five or six standard methods every time. So when, when you do something like this, you get away from that and it, it just makes your code less predictable. When I open it up, I just I'm, it's not as expected. So you kind of got to do a little bit more reading to figure out what's going on. Plus, it's, it's harder for the person consuming your API to know exactly what's... The whole, one of the huge benefits of REST is that people, in a way, can, can sort of guess how your system works just by following standard conventions. You know, slash user. Well, if I post a slash user, then I should be able to create a user. Granted, I'm allowed to do that, right? 
But as soon as you start falling out of that convention, you now make it a little bit more difficult. You got to know a little bit more. You got to have better documentation and and these sort of things. So I, I guess the way I handle it is like, first off, if you can find a way to avoid it, just find, just just take five minutes. Don't be frustrated that you don't have a a, a quick answer to it, and just map out a bunch of different possibilities. Map out. See if there is a way to do it in some sort of restful way. So don't give up right away. And then I would say if you absolutely can't, if, if you really just feel like, you know, there is no way to do send, resend welcome email, if there's just no nice way to do that, then that's fine. Create it in, you know, the dirty, non-restful way, but just put it in its own controller and, you know, don't add a whole bunch of stuff to that controller. Just make it very clear that it's kind of a unique thing that's following its sort of own pattern. That's really, you know, kind of the way I approach it. I think you could get into specific examples and each example you could probably break apart and figure out, well, what are you going to do? So like, for example, the auth, you know, authenticating a user. Well, it's, that's going to depend on maybe what kind of authentication system you have in, but like, would you do log in and log out? Is that how you manage that? Or do you manage it a little different where you have, say, a sessions endpoint and when you post to a session, that's how you log in and when you delete a session, that's how you log out. So that's one way I've seen that handled. I always felt that that was kind of silly, you know, having a sessions endpoint, but I, I've come to think that maybe that isn't the worst idea. Yeah, I, th- I think that's like pretty standard in the Rails world. And I agree, like it, it does seem like for some reason, that one feels like you're really like forcing something and breaking like a convention that people maybe are otherwise used to, which is like the login, log out thing. But I think I lean towards like preferring to treat sessions as a resource than doing login, log out. Because if you do login, log out, like what verbs do you use? Like, how do you, what do you send to log out? Is it a get? Is it a post? Is it a put? Is it a patch? Is it a delete? You know what I mean? Like, is it, do you just let it respond to any? I don't know. It feels like it can get like, out of control or just sloppy. I normally just do posts for every non-normal thing. And I don't, like I said, I don't have a real great reason for that. But if it's like, if I can't come up with it, like my login logout would be posts. Sure. Just, that's just, yeah. Yeah. I think that's doesn't, fair because it's kind of like the simplest verb that allows you to send like a complex body. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it makes sense to me. Uh, two examples that I think are worth discussing because it'd be kind of interesting to kind of talk about, you know, like you said, with the sessions thing, like what are ways what are solutions to some of these things when you feel like you can't come up with like a restful endpoint? One that I think uh, is really common that I think people can learn from is imagine you have like, we're still in the posts, comments, blogs world, say, right? And say that uh, you can subscribe to different people's blogs. So if you're trying, if you're thinking that this action is like subscribe, you might be inclined to add an endpoint that's like blogs slash ID slash subscribe. And you might send a post request to that. The problem with this, though, is that, like, first of all, obviously, you're breaking, like, your REST conventions uh, because subscribe is not, like, a, a thing, right? The second thing is it probably has to have knowledge of the authenticated user. Like, so when you do, like, subscribe, who's being subscribed? Do you pass the user ID as a parameter or do you do it based on, like, who's authenticated with the token? You know, it starts to feel, like, kind of messy. So what I usually have found helpful in situations like that is if you think about how this is like modeled in your system, usually like a subscription like that is like a many to many like pivot table in your database, right? So like one user can subscribe to many blogs and a blog can have many subscribers. So you're just going to have this table that you might have called like blog users or something that has a user ID and a blog ID. So if you force yourself to think like, okay, well, 
if I'm not allowed to like use subscribe as a verb and all I'm allowed to do is either like, I'm either creating or updating something, right? Well, what is it that I could be creating or updating and trying to think of a noun? And in this case, like the logical thing is like a subscription, right? Like by subscribing to a blog, you're creating a subscription to the blog. So in that case, you can have an endpoint that's just like users slash ID slash subscriptions, and you can post a body to that that contains information about the blog that you're subscribing to, or it can even be the other way around, like blogs slash blog ID slash subscriptions, and you could post content that contains information about the user that needs to be subscribed to the blog. And I find that this has this like nice ripple effect too of making you then want to like rename that database table, right? So it's not blog users anymore, now it's subscriptions. And now instead of having like a many-to-many relationship set up in your code, you know, with Eloquent or Active Record or whatever, you end up creating like a new model. So now you have like a user has many subscriptions and a blog has many subscriptions. And then you can still have like the many to many one that connects the users to the blogs. But now you also have this new like object that you can like hang a bunch of methods and stuff off of related to subscriptions where before they didn't really have like a good place to go. So I find that like forcing yourself to to embrace these constraints a little bit sometimes like exposes like new concepts in your domain that you haven't even thought about you know absolutely it's always a wonderful moment when i can find a word like subscription that ties say a user to whatever and and that's like a the perfect word that describes what it is that's happening there because what you run into and i run into this all the time with you know working with laravel and working with active record is anytime you need additional data on a relation like a pivot table i feel like it gets painful so if I can create a model that represents something and then, you know, those that pivot table data is like just part of that model and not having to worry with about using the pivot helpers on the Laravel relational stuff, I feel like it's way less painful. And I just, yeah, I love the language that you speak of it as a subscription as opposed to, you know, this weird mix of the two. It doesn't always work out though, unfortunately, but sometimes if by just pushing yourself to find that, it's like, you make your application in the end way nicer and your API way nicer just because you found you, you took a bit of time to figure out what that thing's called. Yeah, definitely. I think like trying to find a name for your pivot tables is like always a good exercise. I find like most of the time I'm able to like make my pivot tables have a model representing them. Like it seems to be like the rare case where I actually have to treat it as like a regular pivot table and give it that like stupid two word with an underscore between it name, you know? Yeah, I guess I speaking of my own experience on the current project, I certainly haven't had that. I've had a hard time finding it. And I really kind of think that this, your luck there, if you want to call it that, it depends on your, on what your, your project. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like I have a project right now that I literally yesterday I was creating pivot tables. I ended up creating nine pivot tables and these nine pivot tables had like no name for them whatsoever. <laughs> and, and it was horrible. But like, I was like looking at all my various options. I'm like, okay, if I don't do a pivot table, I can do some, you know, sort of polymorphic table, but I, I hate doing that because I lose the foreign keys. And so I ended up creating a whole bunch of pivot tables, but in this situation, like I don't mind creating pivot tables that are just pivot tables. If all they have is two IDs, you know, the two items that are linked anytime I want to, anytime I have a pivot table that I feel inclined to put extra data on. So some extra field, then I feel like, no, this, there's this, this is a model. There's something else to this that I feel like I could give it a name. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. Like as soon as you end up using like the with pivot method or whatever in like Laravel, it's like, okay, this this needs to be its own class now. Absolutely. I had one recently 
on my current project and we have uh, so we have users and we have roles and then we have this user roles table so it obviously it's a pivot table but this user role table had a lot of extra data like that went along with it, it had like a start date and an expiry date and and some other fields so originally we were using it as this and I know we're kind of getting off track here a bit of a, a database design thing here but uh, it's interesting because we went down this road of having it as just more of a pivot table and using the pivot methods and it was just a disaster and then we're like you know what no there this user role thing like it's representative of something that actually exists in real life uh, the problem in our system was that there was lots of different roles so it didn't break down to a nice word like in some situations that user role represented employment and, and in other situations it represented other things depending on what that role was so we, we still didn't come up with a nice name for what user roles was, but at least by breaking it into its own model, we were able to, it, it simplified so many things. And even in our API, it made it a lot nicer to work with because it, it became kind of this this entity of its own. So you would just get, call it like user role? We did, yeah. We bantered around a few different names for it and we didn't really end, land on you know that nice word like subscription, but we, we definitely wanted that nice word. It just didn't exist, but it didn't mean that that wasn't still the right move to, to make that a model. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. One other common solution to like uh, running into verbs that you're not technically supposed to use. Uh, imagine like, you know, we kind of talked about this briefly, but you need to mark a post as red or something, right? Like uh, imagine it's like, I don't know, you're, you're on Feedly or something, right? Your RSS reader and you've like read a post and now it needs to know that like, you've you've read that post so you might be inclined to make uh, an endpoint that's like post slash id slash read and like you send a post request to that or something and it like marks the post as read and when you think about how this is implemented on the back end right like not that they're necess- not that there's supposed to be a tie between your api and, and database necessarily but the way that this is going to be set up in the database probably at least the way that i've done it is that you have like a, a separate table called like reads and when someone's read a post, you like add something there so that you know that that person has read that post. Because it's not like you can just update some flag on like the posts table because you need to know whether it's been read by a specific user, right? It's not like a post can be read globally or anything like that. Yeah. So what I've done in situations like that, which it's kind of an interesting example of kind of divorcing your database from your API, is that I would have read as just like a flag on the post resource, that's like, it, it has to be aware of the current user though, right? Because whether a post is read or not depends on who you're logged in as. So it kind of has this weird tie to that like scoped authentication topic that we were talking about before. But if you if you get a, like a list of posts back and say five posts come back and three of them are read and two of them are, are not read, I would just have like a red property in each one that's like red, true, red, false. And that's calculated based on like, you know, checking what's in that reads table or whatever, but then to like mark the post as read, you can just make a patch request to that post and say like red equals true or, or red equals false. It gets complicated though, because now in like your controller, some patch requests are, are going to be updating columns right on the, on the model. Like you might be changing like the post title or something, which is straightforward because you're just updating a column on the posts table. But if the patch request comes in and it has like title and it has the new title that you're patching in and it has like red true and it's marking it as red at the same time that you're changing the title that's not as simple as like just updating the title because one of those changes requires creating a new row in a different table the reads table and one of them is just uh changing the title have you ever played around with that sort of approach to this sort of thing 
Oh man, that's a that's an interesting one. So like one interesting thing there is like you talk about you need to when you do this, you need to have awareness of the current user. Um, and even when you request the post, you know, what's the read representative of? Is it is it a representative of whether or not you read it? I'm guessing it is, but what if you wanted to know whether or not somebody else read it? So I, I find that an interesting one. Uh, and even when you create it, like maybe when you create the read, I guess the, I guess in that situation, the current user would only ever be able to read something. So uh, maybe this is uh, not a problem in this example, but in some situations, you might find it where another user wants to mark that flag for another person. So using the current user becomes problematic. So I almost feel like in that situation, read almost becomes like this, you know, reads thing almost becomes like an entity of its own should almost be handled as like its own resource somehow. Like you'd be able to get like users slash five slash red posts or something. And that would give you all their red posts or, or posts. And then a query string where like red is true or. Yes. Yeah. That sort of idea. I think that sort of idea, I think that'd be nice, but yeah, that's kind of a, that's kind of a tricky one. I, I don't really know if I have a great solution to that. I think passing, I don't know. I get nervous every time, you know, you, you want to pass through read equals true and then you go off and make a separate database entry. I, I don't know. Maybe that's fine. Um, and then is that happening every single time? So you're doing that only once, or you're doing that many times? Or I, I mean, any time that you make a patch request that includes that property. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I think uh, is interesting about that is like now somehow you have to like have a version of the post model that's like authentication aware right which you don't normally have if you're just fetching if you're just fetching posts and you don't care about data that's like context specific for like the current user you can just you know convert the database model to json and just return it and it it doesn't matter but in cases like this it's almost like you need like a, a new model which i think like this is pretty common right people have like a separate set of of objects that represent the resources that are returned from the api that may or may not map to any you know objects that are mapping to the database but what i've done is i've created like a new post model like in like an api namespace or something or like an api resources namespace and that post like takes in its constructor like a user and a post like the eloquent models and it has like a two json or you know a two array or whatever and it computes any of these properties that are related to determining if, you know, the post is read or something because it has access to the user and the post that it's kind of like it's like a composed contextual version of the post, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and returning that from the API. And that's worked fine for like um, for kicking the data back because that's ends up being pretty simple. But it's the actual updating of the stuff that I'm still looking for, like a clean approach to uh, where you're not just like specifically checking for different fields where you know certain properties might have to invoke some whole other process than other different properties you know like yeah literally having to check like if this patch request contains the red property well now i have to go and create this other row or whatever Uh, whereas if it contains the title property i just have to update the title on the thing so you end up having like special cases for every single well, for not for not every single one, but like you do end up having special cases where different properties require different operations to actually update. And uh, I'm still looking for the best way to manage that. Yeah. So a couple of things, like you, the way you handled, you know, the the composition of the response we've used on our current project, we use uh, the league package fractal, and so we have all these transformers. And we ended up doing a bunch of that stuff where in our transformer, we'd be looking at the current user. And I always kind of felt like I wasn't sure if that was the right thing to do there or not. 
so far it hasn't really bitten us, so maybe that is a perfectly good way of doing it. So in the example of, say, the, the blog post, you'd have this transformer, you'd look at the current user, the current user, that transformer would work out whether or not the current user has read that, and it would return it back. And I think that would work perfectly fine. I think that, yeah, the, the trickier part is when you're doing the, the update. And I think you could handle it two different ways. You could have, um, you could have like a reads endpoint that you can fire a separate request to to say that you actually read it. And what I like about that is you're not like anytime you're doing like a get and you're doing an update on that. Like I, I know you're not suggesting that, but like yes, you're suggesting doing a put or a patch, I should say, to a post to indicate that it's been read, right? Yeah. Like I'd almost want to put that as a separate like reads, and and, and it's not an update; it's actually a post. So you do a post to read saying that I read this blog post, this user read this. And then what that would also allow you to do is like if you didn't pass through, say, a user ID, it would just go to the default, like the current user. But you could, again, this is a weird example, but you could have the ability for an administrator to, to create a read for another user if you were to design it that way. Yeah, you have a little bit more flexibility there for sure. So, yeah, definitely a bunch of ways to do it. It's uh, it's interesting to, th- to think about some of that stuff sometimes i don't know the rest stuff seems like so simple on the surface but when you start oh. diving into like actually implementing on like a, a real app you start to run into into these kind of things that you know might sound simple at first that actually end up like being really complicated to do in a way that like is satisfying and clean you know absolutely and i remember like doing when i first got into it i did a lot of reading and i got like i got frustrated because i've seen a lot of people just talking like no, it's so easy. It's just this. And and when I saw those, it, I don't know. I'm like, either I have a ton of learning to do, so I, it, I see it that simple, or you're way oversimplifying it and it's actually not as simple as what you're you're trying to make it sound like. And I feel like, I feel like it's maybe a little bit of both. I think the more you work with REST and the more you work with APIs, you, you kind of learn the pain points and, and learn how to avoid them. And I think it's unfortunately one of those things that, yeah, it's just something you got to kind of do for a while. Like I've been into it for eight months now and I, I still feel like I have lots to learn, but I definitely feel like I've, I've figured a few things out just by kind of just feeling the pain of it. Yeah, definitely. I 100% agree. So we actually had like a ton more topics that we wanted to get into, but we ended up spending uh, quite a bit of time on this stuff so far. So I think there's like one topic left that's related to this that I think would be good to discuss. And then uh, maybe we can save some of the other topics for like a part two uh, down the road, because I think this has been a pretty uh, fun and interesting API discussion. Sounds awesome. So the last one that's kind of related to like uh, this kind of resource stuff, I've run into situations where I felt that it's been a good decision to create like a singular sub resource so plural sub resource is like super common so you might have posts slash id slash comments and that returns all the comments for that post but what i don't see very often like i don't know if i've ever even seen an example of this or if i've just you know tried it myself because it seemed like the right solution at the time was when you have a sub resource that's just one thing so like on on nitpick like the SaaS app that I, i've released a few months ago I have an endpoint for getting the users, the, getting any users or the current users like subscription. Uh, and I use that on like the account settings page to, you know, update, you know, their subscription and show them their plan information and stuff like that. So I'd have an endpoint that's like users slash ID slash subscription. So it's just a singular thing, not a plural thing. And it just returns back one object that has the information about their plan. But the only other approach, if I didn't want to do that, would be to just always include the subscription in like the actual user resource. You know what I mean? 
which I might not Absolutely. need all the time, or maybe maybe it's expensive to calculate or not worth it because it's like extra database queries or whatever. So I'm kind of curious, like, have you ever have you ever done that? Have you ever thought much about that, like the singular sub resource thing? Yeah, actually, it's funny because uh, one of the items I, I'd love to chat with you about it. This is like to me really gets to like a performance issue. Uh, and how you can make your API a little bit more performant. Because right now in the current project that I'm working on, we have so much data in this particular application. And even the users table has just a ton of information. It's just, it's the need of this particular piece of software to just know a lot about a user. So to get back a user and all the columns that are associated with them, because in certain situations you might need certain ones, to return them all back is like really expensive and especially expensive if you... Uh, are returning collections of users. So even with pagination, if you limit it to 15 users, like it can still be a ton of data. Mm-hmm. So I actually really like this idea. And it's exactly what you said. It's basically an extension of that users or what that entities columns or whatever you want to call them. And, and really the only thing you'd have, you'd only have two um, rest verbs that you could work with or actions that you could work with. And they would be, um, I'm assuming they would just be your patch and your get you wouldn't delete that because you would be deleting the user Um, so it's really only those two things i have done that and i've done that specifically for spots where the api reaches out to another api and it could be slow so i had to i use subscriptions which reaches out to stripe to get some current information about that but that's slow and it's just farther down the line or maybe does some calculations so i obviously don't want to do that on every single time especially if i'm requesting 15 users so by putting in this sub this sub resource, if you want to call it that, I almost don't even like calling it a resource. I guess it is. A, it's not related data. It's part of the main model or the main entity itself. But I think it makes sense to split up in this way. And I actually like the fact that it's singular because it kind of alludes to the fact that that's what it is. Yeah. So the other way we've gotten around this in in, in the current project is with Fractal, you can use these things called includes. So you'd say, I want all the users, and the users they would come back with a you know a subset of the data that you know, the most common data, like first name, last name, email, and those sort of fields. And then you can do use includes. Now includes, I think, are were designed in Fractal for more related data. So you'd say include and, you know, post. Give me the, give me, give me the user, this user, but I also want to, in the same request, get their recent posts or whatever. Sure. But I've actually used it for this more singular stuff. So I would say, give me the, you know, give me a user, but then also include the subscription. And that would actually show up as, a nested item within that response, but it would allow me to basically enable or disable it. And, and, and that's worked pretty good. Yeah, I think that that's a good way to think about it too and go about it. I feel like I've worked with APIs that have worked kind of that way. I can't think of what one it might have been. Maybe it's Facebook or LinkedIn, maybe, where you actually have to, there's like a default data set for like any user or a resource, but even some of like the single properties you have to explicitly request in the API call for it to actually include it. And like you're saying, yeah. it's not necessarily like an embedded sub resource. It might just be like by default, the user's endpoint doesn't return the email and you just have to say like fields equals email comma, whatever. And it'll, and those are like kind of the optional fields that it doesn't always totally. return by default. Yes. I think that's really nice too, actually. Yes, that's definitely another way to go about it. Cool, yeah. When I when I first got into API stuff, I, I really thought of the API more as almost like a database. So I went too far with that kind of stuff. So instead of just returning, say, 10 standard fields, like I would have it that you'd say, okay, I want users, but then I would require like the fields parameter and you'd actually have to say, I want the first name, last name. 
And that was really cool because it was super performant, but it was a ton of work. Like, yeah. So every request was like really nice. But I kind of realized there was some problems with that. Like you don't, you weren't able to like reuse, like since every request of the database was almost different, like caching becomes an issue because you don't, you can cache it, but you're hardly ever using the same request. Yep. So that's one thing. Plus it's just a ton of extra work on building the API. Like I've created some tooling around it to make it better. So it was funny. I, I actually reached out to Phil about this particular thing because he's, he's uh, my go-to API expert and he said something interesting to me, and that was, John, don't think of an API as a database. And and that was totally what I was doing. So it kind of helped me think of, it, think of it more in terms of like, okay, there's like standard sets of data that come back, but then you can like add additional stuff. But it's not like, it's not like I'm trying to create like an API that's like a full query, you know, builder. Yeah. It has to be like a little bit more opinionated maybe. Totally. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, I think maybe that's a good place uh, to cut it off. Uh, is there any other things that you wanted to get into quickly related to kind of the sub-resource stuff before we go? Um, I don't know. I think that's uh, pretty much covered it for today. Um, yeah, I, I think that's maybe a nice place to leave it. Cool. Uh, so what is the best way for people to kind of keep up with uh, what you're doing and stuff online? Uh, probably just my Twitter my Twitter feed. Um, I'm uh, Reinink on Twitter. So it's just my last name, R-E-I-N-I-N-K. So that, that's probably the best place. You can also obviously follow the league stuff. That's uh, that's cool as well. Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on, dude. Hopefully uh, we can do it again sometime because we got a lot of other stuff to go over and I think a lot of it would be uh, really good. So Yeah, man, a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So for anyone interested in show notes, this will be available at fullstackradio.com slash 35. Uh, if you can rate and review the show on iTunes, that's uh, super helpful. It helps keep us visible, keep us high in the rankings, and help people discover the podcast and hear more of the stuff that we're talking about. Uh, comments are available on the website. Let me know what you think. Either shoot me an email, email's on there, or uh, just leave a comment on the actual episode. And uh, thanks again to uh, Laracasts for sponsoring the podcast, as always. Guaranteed, there's lots of good API building videos on there uh, related to Laravel and PHP or working with uh, JavaScript libraries to access your API. Uh, lots of good stuff uh, that's probably the best nine bucks a month that i spend so if, if you're not already a subscriber you should definitely check it out thanks everyone see you next time